welcome to the eDiscovery Basecamp with Steve and Jack, where we cover all things eDiscovery and beyond. Tune in each week for a new episode featuring hot eDiscovery topics, amazing guests, and several other surprises. Let's adventure together. Well, hey, welcome everybody to another session of eDiscovery Basecamp. I'm Steve, and I'm here with Jack. Uh, we're from SeaTech in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That is correct. The great state of Minnesota. Um, hope you had a chance to listen to our podcast uh, last week. Um, it was kind of a, a special one for us, and I hope it uh, is special for you as well. Today, we are going to cover a different topic, and this is a... I'll, I'll, give the tee up here a little bit. This is a tool that SeaTech has been using for uh, about five years. We were introduced to this technique of planning and project management or project execution by the United States Air, Air Force. I was at a conference in Phoenix in 2016 when I saw a couple of uh, retired Air Force majors who had been fighter pilots um, give a presentation which was just absolutely impressive. They were there in their flight suits, uh, aviators. They had uh, awesome uh, video of some of their uh, training exercises. So what these two uh, Air Force majors explained was a model for success. And it starts at the beginning of a mission and it ends when you evaluate how you did. You can imagine being in the Air Force, the Army, the Marines, Navy, whatever. There's a lot of pressure for action in the moment. So what the Air Force created was something called the afterburner model. And here's how it goes. It's a, it's a very simple, memorable model. It starts with planning. It continues on with a review of the plan. So you may have, for instance, two or three people working on the plan and then the entire committee, all the stakeholders involved in reviewing the plan to ensure the plan is solid, that it has a, uh, a good possibility of success. Execution is the third step. And the idea around execution is to not inhibit yourself at that point with a lot of planning, replanning, rethinking, questioning, doubting, wondering, how are we going to do this? What do we do? Imagine yourself being an Air Force fighter pilot and needing to make snap decisions in the moment. Uh, those things don't happen without good planning. Mm-hmm. Usually bad things happen if you don't plan in those situations. After the execution is done, there's a debrief. And the debrief is, is pretty interesting. It's every, everybody in the room. They call it a nameless and rankless environment where they all sit at, at the same table. They take their uh, stars and stripes off, if you will, and they have a discussion about what they did well and what they could do better, what they could do differently the next time. And it's a learning opportunity for them in that uh, debriefing process. It's kind of like uh, you know being in a board meeting 
Somebody mm -hmm. takes notes, you record it, you disseminate it. Everybody who leaves that room has to leave the room acknowledging at least one thing that they could improve on and making a verbal commitment to working on that one thing. It could be more than one thing, but that's the basic idea. And the structure of the plan goes around in a circle, and the circle ends in the center of the circle. So if you imagine planning being on the north uh, quadrant, the review being east, the execution being south, the debrief being west, and if you do all those things well and you follow that model, what happens in the middle is that you win and you have success. We have been using this model since for the last five years, since 2016. It was a, uh, I was instantly impressed and attracted to it, made a ton of sense. I liked the simplicity of it. And when I introduce it to our group after coming back from that conference in Phoenix, I had instant recognition and enthusiasm from everyone. It took a little while to activate, to, to do it right, to do it well, but we have been using it consistently really on every major project, every minor project, Mm -hmm. uh, there, there are a few things that we don't, you know, making a sandwich for lunch. We don't activate the uh, afterburner model. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen you make a sandwich before, and it's, uh, it's pretty intense. Well, <clears throat> okay, so maybe that was a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it, we, you could certainly use it in all kinds of situations. You could use it at home with your kids. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's. It's very instructive. It's easy to follow. Mm -hmm. And you will find that 99% of the people you work with, live with, know, they'll, they'll, they'll instantly find the, the, the value in the model. They'll embrace it. And they'll want to use it. They'll want to teach their friends and family about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great, and and so to to recap, it's basically five steps: the plan, brief, execute, debrief, and then win. I like to think of it as four steps, and right. the winning is is, is <laughs> the result. The it's yeah. the result. It's the uh, the the side effect of of following the model. Sure. In a in a in the right way. Right. So, Jack, you've you've been here. Uh, for a number of years. Uh, I think you were around uh, at the time that we discovered the afterburner model and were introduced to it. What what has your experience been with the model over the years? I, I've always really enjoyed it be from just a training standpoint right off the bat is that it's easy to teach because it's it's linear but it outlines these important milestones in an important planning process. It's really easy to teach it to new employees as they come in, and it's also really easy to keep it you know, in the back of your mind as you're working through projects and when things get busy. It's, it always kind of lingers there and stays there. And you know, we have a couple of uh, diagrams up on the wall in the office around uh, just as a 
reminder of that process. But I think that every single time um, that we are able to, I, I just know in our debrief sessions, when we're able to outline the different steps that we take in that process and, and look at the highlights there, not only do we see really what we did well, but we also see spots that, oh man, we could totally do that better next time. It makes it a lot easier just to see, man, oh, oh my gosh, we could have we could have totally knocked that back by an hour. We could have totally done X, Y, Z because of, of, of this or that. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is that it keeps you in a, a growth mindset. Um, all through every project is is the whole idea that you're looking to continuously improve and to grow. And there are times where I'm sitting there midstream looking at certain things happening in a workflow and thinking, oh man, that could be better next time. And, and, and it's, it's a personal accountability thing. It's not a, you know, standing there and picking apart every single thing. It's, oh, I I need to remember that for next time. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because the idea of, uh, having a mindset that wants to continuously improve mm-hmm. is one of our core values, yeah. right? Yeah, and um, it it absolutely propels growth. It 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 makes growth pretty active. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not necessarily s- a slow paint drying or watching paint dry kind of process. No. So, the fact that it's a simple model. And that the um, the cause and effect relationship between those components of the model is usually pretty obvious, pretty quick to identify. So, you know, I, let, what do you think is the most important aspect of the model? Well, th- and this is kind of an underlying model thing. Um, it's the fine line between the plan and the execute phase, at least for me. Um, I, I don't know if that's the most important, but it's a really significant part in keeping it. We can't spend hours in the planning phase and never executing, but we also want to put enough time into the planning phase to execute properly. So it really gets us thinking about how can we define a process and stick to it so that we know what that right amount is. And if we see down the line that that wasn't enough or it was too much we're in that growth mindset so we're thinking about it and we're adjusting for that always and it's just always kind of improving itself improving itself every single cycle so i think that's my favorite part is that kind of every cycle that we run of this process it gets a little bit better it improves in some way shape or form i i see it exactly the same way i'm i'm you know we didn't rehearse this so i'm kind of (laughs) impressed that you have that have that thought it's it isn't one component of the model. It's the entire cycle. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's most valuable because every component really is is dependent on the other. It's a little bit like a a four cylinder engine or an eight cylinder engine. If you take, I used to have a, a 1978 Oldsmobile 88, oh. huge car with a 402 engine, very fast. Uh, not a sexy or beautiful or, you know, sporty car, but it had a big motor and it really could get up and go. But if you took, I, I also had uh, bad valves in that car. Mm. I didn't have the money to repair the valves, so I always drove around with a box of spare spark plugs because I'd get, um, there were two cylinders that would fail 
the, the plugs. Oil would leak in and follow the plug, and I'd just replace them. But if I were down one cylinder in that big 402 engine, I could really feel it. Yeah. I, I bet I lost 50 horsepower, 70 horsepower. It, it, uh, it was very noticeable. It was mm -hmm. a big, heavy car. So it would uh, it would chug along, it would cough and hiccup, and you know I'd find an opportunity, stop, let the engine cool down, replace the plug, and I'd be back in action. If I were down two cylinders, you know the car was really uh, in trouble. <laughs> you know I might not be able to get up a hill, uh, as an example. Right. So. You know, there's a there's a codependency within the afterburner model, mm -hmm. where every component of the cycle is dependent on the other. So execution is not going to happen if very well if planning, if the planning phase execution is not going to happen as well if, if the planning phase is cut short or compromised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the deep the the briefing phase you talked about that's reviewing the plan really making sure it's tight and it's and it's a model for success uh, is important too that that's that's a step that's easy to forget but it's equally important mm -hmm. because you're bringing in a second set of eyes if you will to review and make sure uh, it's just like writing an important paper for school uh, you you would like to have somebody else proofread that. Absolutely. A lot better than having yourself proofread it. Right. 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 It's the, the, the forest through the trees kind of scenario. Yeah. Right, right. And, and I think a part of that, too, is the, the trust in that whole process. And that's something that's very evident within our team is that through this process, we've learned to trust each other in that but as a result of trusting each other more the process has worked better so it's kind of like a chicken or egg situation a, a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy where because we run the process we trust each other more and because we trust each other more the process runs better well and that that sounds like a model of growth right there yeah that is a, that a, is yeah definitely an example of growth and how the afterburner is a an advocate for growth it's almost like fertilizer mm-hmm it just it helps us do things better. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to um, do something a little different today. We've got a special guest that we're going to bring into the room. It's true. And do you want to introduce the guest? Yeah. So Jack? this, yeah, our guest is very, very special. Special to both Steve and I. Um, the only reason why he agreed to do this is because we fed him eight cups of coffee and. Uh, <laughs> He's, he is kind of wound up. Yeah, he's, he's excited. So it's uh, Anthony Barrows, or as we know him, Tony Barrows, sometimes called Tony the Sub. That's a story for a different time. Um, he's our COO and someone who has been brought in here while this process has been functioning and running and as a not not newer, but someone who hasn't seen this process before being plugged into an environment where this process exists he's got some great perspective and some you know great success stories as a result and we thought that it would be great to have him speak to that and share about what his thoughts on the afterburner model is what if he likes it or if he doesn't you know what's his honest opinion 
Tony, welcome. It's good to see you. Likewise. Th thanks for being here. So one of the reasons we called you in today is uh, you are new to the afterburner model, correct? Correct, yep. yep. I also get the impression that you enthusiastically embrace the afterburner. Is that true or is that just an illusion? No, no, that is absolutely true. Um, there's no hyperbole there. So you're not even a year into it. I've got five years under my belt. I was a believer in the beginning, struggled a little bit to get, uh, get it off the ground, but not, not too much. It was a pretty, pretty smooth implementation, but a little bit of resistance along the way. You, you've, you've really entered in a phase and helped us quite a bit uh, just by understanding it and applying it, tell tell me a little bit about what you've seen as the benefits. The benefits, I think, I mean, efficiency with a capital E. And I, I you know, I don't want to lapse into corporate speak at all because I think the benefits to doing this um, are very practical and applicable. Um, I don't care if you're building a fence. I don't care if you're working in a machine shop. I don't care if you're installing garage doors or doing 50 boxes of scanning that are, you know, subsequently going to go to a litigation. Um, so that, that in and of itself, I found, uh, I, I saw rather quickly that you could apply Afterburner to a lot of things that you might do if it's a, you know, a, a project you want to complete. Um, so that was, you know, that, that was immediately beneficial and something I saw right away. And loved. So not not just complete, but complete with some measure of success and and confidence that you've you've done a good job. Yeah. Yep. It's very fulfilling. I think you know that the efficiency leads to a fulfilling outcome. Uh, and I also found a, a less stressful path there. I saw that members of the team were not pulling their hair out, scrambling around, and pulling down you know boxes and whatnot to get stuff done. Everybody was was performing their duties and doing so efficiently. Yeah, great. on that point, I I recall a project recently that was uh, it, it was a bit of a time crunch. It was a lot of work in a short short span. It it actually came in. We we had talked about it earlier in a in a podcast. It was the Easter Bunny going rogue story. <laughs> we got a, a late night call uh, Saturday night um, and. We ended up crushing that project, crushing the deadline, and by using the afterburner model, we found that people were actually enjoying themselves. They were not sweating the process. They were not scrambling around like rats in a box. They, they actually had very much uh, a sense of control and poise over what they were doing. Yeah, I and think I think you saw that as well, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I uh, the, the fact that uh, people had poise and you brought up the word they were actually you know, it was an enjoyable endeavor. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, they do call this work, not play. But you know, it's f pretty cool. What I I think when uh, you can actually engage in something that's productive and mm -hmm. uh, you know is good for the company, but also is really not that difficult. And gosh darn it, actually kind of fun, which is antithetical to a lot of people maybe, but uh, when they think of work. Yeah, so you know, you wouldn't uh, describe that scenario as just being a fluke. No, 
No, I didn't say repeatable, did I? That's you, you didn't. So I, I was I was leading you towards yeah. that thought. Yeah, I mean it's uh, that the the guy who started, and I don't want to get a copyright strike, but it's the the place where you can get a hamburger and it looks like an M. Um, you know the you know sort of the underpinnings. The main tenet was the fact that he set up something that was absolutely consistent, but then repeatable. You know, and uh, could be du- duplicated all over the world. Don't care where you are, China or you know, California. Right. So, right. Yep. Well, I know that you know we've Jack and I were talking about the four stages of the afterburner model, and I know that you're a big fan of the debriefing mm-hmm. session. And you know when I when I've worked in past jobs, we used to call that portion of uh, or that style of meeting as a post mortem. Is that something you're familiar <laughs> with, Tony? Well, I mean, in the context of law school, I am, and I loathe them. What What's the connotation of post mortem well, versus debrief? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know. Again, you don't need an English degree to figure that one out. I mean, it's, you know, death versus, you know, it's death versus something that's constructive. Right, you know? right. Yeah, you, you actually bring people into the room feeling excited and uh, uh, enthusiastic about learning versus afraid that they might have to be called out or take accountability for something. Yeah, the postmortem, yeah, that's brutal. You're right, though. I mean, I, uh, it is sort of something that people lapse into. You yeah. Know, let's break this thing down in a postmortem. Gross. Yeah. Well, more people should figure out that words do matter, and that one I think is uh, correctable. Yep. So let let's uh, get away from the uh, etymology of uh, <laughs> of all this and and focus in on what is it about a debrief session that makes all of this pull together. Uh, well, it gives you one, a brief opportunity to talk about one well, so we all get to, you know, turn and pat each other on the back briefly. So that, yeah. and that feels good. And and it is brief. We don't spend a lot of time there. Absolutely not. Do, do we learn from commenting on what we did well? Well, self-aggrandizing is always fun. I mean, it feels good, but <laughs> it's not really something that's, you know, long-lasting. It's not going to lead itself to longevity. So, I mean, yeah, the uh, we get a chance to congratulate, and that's awesome. But then at the end of the, you know, shortly on the heels of that, we start to talk about, um, you know, what could we do differently? What could we do differently? What, what during the process could you uh, just change? Um, and... That then folds itself and dovetails into, okay, where was my part in this whole thing? And where am I accountable for some shortcomings that occurred during the overall process? So, um, yeah, that, 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 final, that final piece is uh, integral. It is, you know, not only leads to positive change and an opportunity to grow and improve, um, I've seen in my brief time that it allows uh, team members to look at somebody else and go, wow, that dude's really putting himself out there, you know? I mean, he's putting it on the line. And not just in a way that's going to, you know, poor me, I'm falling on my sword. No, 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 this is for the common good, you know? And it, it does lend itself, if you keep doing this, you know, it does lend itself to the process being even more improved so that the next time you do it, it's better and better and better. So, all that being said, uh, at the end of the day, um, a 
holding all of this up though is absolute buy-in from people. Um, so you know, it's uh, you know, if everybody's invested and involved and a hundred percent in, uh, I you know, it didn't take me long to see that this is something that uh, this is a a big deal and a, a true key for success. Well, that's awesome. Um, I know that we've had a a couple of projects recently that have gone really really well. And I, I've also noticed that you've been a guy that has been adamant and uh, very much on top of making sure the debrief session happens, even though we had a project that seemingly looked perfect. But what was surprising about those debrief sessions to you that perhaps uh, you can share with us? Um, well, you're right. I'm a bit of a zealot about doing it. I figure if the checkboxes are there, let's just tick them off. I mean, you know, there are people who do a lot more dangerous things than I do that adhere to this stuff, you know, religiously. So it's like, well, okay, let's, let's just give it a go, you know, and, and really apply ourselves. So yeah, I am a bit of a zealot about let's just, you know, debrief. In fact, we're due on one after I get off the microphone here and we finish recording because, you know, we just finished a project or a project. So, uh, but the you know um, what uh, what I found um, even a project that is seemingly perfect there is always an opportunity to identify opportunities not issues not problems you know and that is a bit of corporate speak but again think about it for three seconds and you're you know it's true these are opportunities for improvement so even a project that looks just absolutely crystalline and pure and and and, and smooth and flawless. Uh, if you're really being critical and you look at it with a critical eye and not being nitpicky, I'm talking being critical, you can find areas to improve. So, How would you describe the tone in the room when those conversations are happening? Not post-mortem. We're not, you know, breaking out the formaldehyde and, you know, glowering over this, you know, thing that's just been recently deceased and looking at each other like, oh, my gosh, that's done, and look at that. I don't, no. e- I don't ever want to go through one of these again. Right. Calgon, take me away. No, it, I, it's, uh, it, it's almost like, a, it's almost like a, a revival, almost. I mean, it, it's symbiotic in terms of its uh, energy. If again, if the people are all in and people are looking at each other and leaning in to the to the meeting, both figuratively and physically, if they're leaning in and bringing ideas and trying to be constructive, uh, I've seen it. You know, I, I don't know how you can help but not be jacked, juiced, ready to roll. Let's do another one. In fact, most of the time, every time that we've done these, um, I've walked out of there like, okay, let's get another one in. Like literally, let's walk out the door and get another one coming in here. So. It's a, yeah, I think of it a little bit like a uh, uh, halftime in a football game. It's an opportunity for, for the team to regroup, to understand what they're doing, mm-hmm. what they're doing well, what they could do better, and to reshape things in the second half. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm a huge gopher guy, and I can't think that P.J. Fleck would be all oh, – in fact, we should get him, like literally. I think he would be all over the afterburner if he has Do you think we could get him? Could we get him on this podcast? I, I don't know. You're a pretty big fan. I'm not. I am a fan, but I'm not a. Not. A, I don't think I'm a big enough booster. Okay. So well, you know. You know. I, I I think the cooler that you, the uh, University true. of Minnesota cooler you yeah, have yeah. might might uh, get him in the door. Maybe maybe if but we send him a picture of that. I think we. 
Yeah, that's true. I, you know, but I do think, you know, I, I do like a lot of the Fleckisms. I think a lot of that resonates, you know, outside of football. And so, um, so you talked, let's, let's just talk a little bit about Fleck, uh, because you talked about everybody, uh, being on board, everybody being on the same page, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to do with the afterburner model, but it's absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. What What's the term that PJ uses to describe that dynamic? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, play all four quarters, you know. And then, oh, the row the boat. Row the boat. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it helps when uh, everybody's engaged. Yeah. And you just got to keep rolling. Yep, you do. Well, hey, Tony, we're going to wrap it up right now. Really appreciate you being here today and uh, taking the time to, to join us. Your thoughts were uh, entertaining and very insightful. Um, love the reference to the U of M. Hadn't planned on that, but I think it's perfect. And uh, this has been a great discussion. So hope you will come back and join us again in the future. And that is it for now. I'm Steve Hartwig uh, with Tony Barrows and Jack Hartwig in the background here from eDiscovery Basecamp. Thanks for joining us. And with our closing thought, we want to make sure that you remember to let the people around you know that they matter. Thanks a lot and see you next time. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the eDiscovery Basecamp. If you have any questions, comments, or want us to cover a certain topic, email us at info at We'll see you next week.